0: everybody welcome into another edition of the curtain call podcast it is episode number 97 we are inching closer to number 100 uh this is a production of the yes network of course he's yes network president of production and programming and executive producer john j Filipelli. i'm justin shackle we are graced with a former all-star relievers presence here it is jeff nelson Former World Series champ with the Yankees, YES Network analyst, does work for the Marlins on TV and radio as well, and of course, the gentleman doing all the hard stuff behind the scenes is our producer Dan Buson. But Jeff, thanks for joining us here with Flip and I, guys. The 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 dog days are getting uglier here for the New York Yankees. It pains me to say that this is this is a a generational occurrence here. They're in as worse of a position. Uh, As they've been in 30 years or so, nine games in back of the final wildcard spot in the American League with 38 games to play. Fans want to know what is going to happen next. When you're this down, changes could be around the corner. What changes could be coming both on the field and off the field? That's just a loaded question to start us off, right, guys?
1: (laughs) what's loaded about it Justin? i mean it's a perfectly logical question right uh well you know uh, i could defer to nelly i mean we could do that but i i don't want to let nelly have to go man you're really nowhere. easing him in here john and so here, <laughs> here it is tip doesn't go no give me your take um listen um it's been tough this has been a tough spell obviously and you know uh yeah, things get bad. It's baseball. It's the game. It happens, but the way this has happened has been troubling. It just has been. Um, and and no one. I don't know. I don't know anybody that I've talked to. When the season began. Saw anything remotely like this? I mean, I certainly didn't see it. I don't think anybody that I've talked to or speak for Nellie you guys. But did anybody sit there with their with looking at the, the the teams and saying, well? But how the Yankees will do, because they win the division, they finish second, they win the wild cards. I mean, no one, I, I didn't know anybody did pick them to be at least a wild card here. So, because the talent certainly was there, was there at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, but injuries hurt them a lot, obviously. Injuries hurt them. Uh, really hurt them. You know, losing judge for a while really certainly hurt oh, tremendously. Uh, the strata players who, you know, you rely on, who are very important to the team, the Stantons, the Rizzo's, LeMayu, the Players of that ilk, um, you know, not being able to, to, to get it done through, through for a variety of reasons, a lot of injury here too, sure. Um, you know, the, the luck was certainly not on their side. But but when those things happen, you have to have, be able to go to a, to a place where you find the power and you find the strength and you find the resolve to be able to overcome your issues. And the Yankees have not been able to do that because, again, a lot of this is injury-related for sure. But but at the end of the day, they've just not not been able to to do what what needs to be done. Um, there have just been holes in a lot of places that people seems we didn't see holes, you know, but they're there and they they have been there, and that's become even more pronounced by what's gone on, obviously. So, you know, it's been very, very difficult. And you know, I'm I'm trying to, you know, say this in a way where, you know, I'm trying to be fair about all this because. I don't think I think you could put blame a lot of places, and I don't think that it's always fair to point fingers at at people. I don't think that that's fair, especially when people have done a good job for you in the aggregate, which many of these people, this is a really good a lot of good people in this organization, a lot of good ones. and they work really hard and they care. So this is about working hard or caring, you know, but at the end of the day, it's about results. And right now the results are just not there. So do you do you do you want to crucify Brian Cashman? I mean, I I I know Brian forever. This isn't a question of me knowing somebody or us knowing somebody. Brian's done a good job. You tell me if you, you know, and if Brian left tomorrow, Brian GM job tomorrow. So it's not a question of Brian could do this or do that. You know, it's like, but things right now don't look, there were problems. There are problems that are there. Some of them are obvious problems. And the, the most important thing to me, the way I look at it is how do you go about fixing the problems that you've gotten you to where you are right at this moment how do you fix those things and this is the way that that i see it in the aggregate jeff you know
2: yeah i I agree totally totally you know you you look at this is this is you know i played for two organizations most of my career in seattle and new york and i've always i retired a yankee for a reason yeah you know i think they're the greatest organization in baseball is it sad what's happening yes this is a team that thought they were going to go to the world series projected to win the east And now they're going to wind up probably finishing in last place unless Boston, you know, falls apart. Yeah, it's is it Brian Cashman? I don't think it's Brian Cashman. Let me look. They were one of four teams standing last year. They went to the ALCS. They got swept by the Astros. Astros, but still, they were one of four teams standing. So he did something right last year. You know, you look at the injuries this year. Did anybody project that they, they would have this amount of injuries? I mean, their starting staff just fall apart like it did. You know, I, I knew that they knew about Montas and his problems when, he, when they traded for him in Oakland. I don't think they realized it was going to be to this extent. You know, you look at Rodon. I mean, how, is that, how does he he not stay healthy? I mean, all of a sudden he was one of you, he was your number two right behind Cole. The next thing you know, he's pitched a handful of games so far this year. You look at Severino. Severino, I, I might feel the worst about to watch him go through what he's going through. The velocity's there, the slider's there. And for him to go through the same things over and over again, it, it just it, just, it messes, it just screws with my mind saying, how do they let this happen? Is it Boone? No, I don't think it's Boone either. Boone not playing the game. And you feel bad for him in a way because he keeps a- answering the same questions and I don't know how he does it. And they all get on him about, oh, he answers the same way. Well, what's he supposed to say? I mean, how he's not—he's not like a Lou Pinella. Those days are over. It isn't like you know he's going to let everybody have it and uh, and and say, you know what, I'm going to rip apart the team. You don't do that anymore. These guys, you know, if you look at 25 to 30 years ago, you could rip the team because guys could handle it. Now you don't do that because some guys just can't handle it. It's just not the way you you, you just. You're not going to get response, I think, by going in and ripping the whole entire team. And the media has changed. It's not like it used to be. I mean, I think they're a little soft. (laughs) They're not. They're not as. uh, So we used to get intimidated sometimes by the media. We didn't want to get stuff written bad about us. But I think, you know, if you go back, I was fortunate enough to play for some of the best Yankee teams. And we won four World Series in five years. And a lot of fans, you know, go back to those eras. And. Yes, we had a good offensive teams, but we had great pitching. And we had pitching that stayed healthy. We had great bullpens that stayed healthy. You wonder you wonder why, in some ways, why has things, I know the number game, the numbers game and all that, you know, the analytics have gotten greater, the information, the way thing, they can break things down now as far as, as far as pitches, pitch designs and all that, that's great. But where has the feel of the game got lost here? You know, I, you know, you see Anthony Volpe, perfect example, that this kid is such a great kid, a great athlete, and we've seen it at shortstop. Now, without the, the overshift, we're seeing the athleticism of the, of the middle infielders now, the outfielders now. And you're seeing that from Anthony Volpe. I think he's a terrific shortstop. He covers a lot of ground. And and he plays his butt off nonstop. But are we seeing that athleticism at the plate? The pitching. Are we seeing that athleticism on the mound, or are we are we steering them too robotically? Or or is it all about numbers? And this is how we pitch instead of hey I I need to feel some things, you know. You go ask a Bernie Williams. You go ask a Derek Jeter a Posada or some of the great hitters. Tino, you know, Paul O'Neill. How how did you hit? What was your what was your You know, how was your game plan going on again, going against someone, you know, and a lot of and most everyone is like, hey, you know what? I was geared for the fastball all the time. Yeah, I adjusted to the breaking ball. Pitching the same way, you know, you look okay. you could still if you wanted to, you could still go same way fastballs in sliders away to everyone and get away with it. You know, it's just you know, now it's all you want to get cued. Oh two, oh, oh two, he's you know, I'm not reading a swing. You know, you see it a lot, and it's 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 frustrating. You know, you look at Michael King the other day with the three-run homer to Turner. You know, it's not a convicted slider that he's throwing. He's got such a great slider. It's not a convicted slider. I mean, it's a little lollipop get me over, and it gets crushed for crushed for a homer. It's like, okay are they teaching these you know some is it it taught properly are we teaching these guys to be too robotic and i think that i think there's a place for analytics but there's also a place for feel and i think it's probably 80 or 90 percent analytics and 10 percent feel it's got to be half and half somehow you know you watch it all the time and you feel bad about
1: it that's a really good point jeff you're right about it i mean I don't think that the problem is that there's the Yankees are in the analytics. You know, every organization is in the analytics yes. to, to an extent for sure. Now that's the way the game is, and that's the way it's supposed to be, right now, and it should be. And the reality is that, but you reach a point where you say, okay, this equation is now tilted in, in a way where it doesn't. It's not working because it's too maybe maybe there's too much analytics and not enough reliance on on feel and not enough reliance on what the eyes tell you uh what the eye test should tell a manager uh as opposed to what a, what a chart says. Now, again, I'm not being critical and saying that with the Yankees are they're wrong to be in the analytics, but maybe we're too reliant on analytics. Maybe the reality is that they need to sort of do a dial back on it and and do more of the, the eye test and more of what what someone's personal experience tells them as, as players and paper, former players who played the game and been around the game and understand the game at a, at a different level. I think that the... the the way things should work sometimes is that the marriage needs to be, you know, the the the, the equation sometimes need to be recalibrated, and I think this is a situation where, you know, the Yankees have seen maybe we're too analytically driven, and you know, I mean, listen, I, I the Yankees score runs with power, but you know what? But the power is not there, so they're not scoring runs. But when the power is not there, and that's you need athleticism, you need to be able to score runs, find ways to to win games in ways that maybe they're not not your mo. But, but you don't have what you thought you had. You don't have maybe the power you thought you had to begin the year. So therefore, you've just switched to change. You're forced to change gears. I mean, the game, the rule changes of the game, almost screamed speed. You know, you yeah. got shorter distance, the bases now, the bases are bigger, base, so distance is shorter, right? So you're more relying on speed than than before, the score runs. And, and that's the reality. I mean, Volpe's got some speed. A couple of players got some speed. Most part the Yankees are another team that's built for speed. So, you know, you have to sort of say, okay – we have to sort of recalibrate how we're looking at this thing because, you know, the, the homer thing doesn't work because we don't have the homers. We don't have the power. So how are we going to score runs? I mean, look at the look at the Yankee offense. Look how many problems they've had. Look at how many guys are OPSs. Or, I mean, 700. Oh, my God. We've got guys much lower than that. So, you know, you, you have to sometimes situations are, are such where you obviously have to make adjustments. You could go in there with the best plans, and the plans may have worked for a really long time, but right now they don't. So you you have to figure out a way to get yourself back in this thing, and that's going to cause that means a major kind of a, a some an organizational idea philosophy change that maybe is what they really need here. And, and yeah, that comes when they and can and change Justin, it sometimes.
2: Yeah, and flipping Justin to go with what you said about the speed, they do have guys that can run. But the thing of it is, is when when you're behind five nothing, six nothing, seven nothing, your running game is done. So as far as the stat, all their last and stolen base attempts since, you know, after the All Star break or whatever, they've been behind most every game to run off to start off the bat, and it's really you shut your running game down. Your 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 asset that you have with an IKF a Volpe a Bader is gone because you 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 can't afford to be thrown out at second. It's like they shut you down right away, you know. So you look at the pitching. I'm a big mechanical guy. I mean, I talk about mechanics all the time. I had to. I'm six six. I had to figure out how. You know, I was constantly trying to repeat, practicing, throwing on the side, you know, playing catch. I had to repeat my mechanic, mechanics all the time to be able to throw strikes. You can tell me different numbers about, hey, this guy hits 120 off of a slider, so that's all we're going to throw him. Okay, well, how do you get to that point? If your mechanics are all screwed up on the mound, you're going to hang sliders. And at 120, it, it's, you know, it, it's out the window because you can't get there as a pitcher. I mean, you look at all these guys, and a, a Rodon, his mechanics are all messed up. You know, I see him talking to Garrett Cole all the time. You know, he'll never throw strikes or, or be consistent if he's throwing the same way all the time and not and not doing the things on the rubber. If things go wrong at the plate, it all starts at the rubber. If you don't know how to fix that, you'll never fix the stuff around the plate. You'll never get to those analytics that, yes, I think it's good. I think there's there's there could be both. You have a pitching guy that has knows about, about mechanics and anything that goes wrong, it all starts at the rubber and you're doing something mechanically and not breaking, not staying back. You're not getting on top of the baseball. You know, you look at Burrito. Burrito a perfect example. This kid's got a great arm. He's got a great changeup, But the way he throws and the way he delivers the ball, I'm sorry, you know, he'll never be able to throw consistent strikes with his delivery. The way he tilts his head, the way he falls off, the way he opens up. And it's a shame because he throws 90 some miles an hour with an excellent changeup, what could be one of the best in the game.
1: Yes, you also have what just to finish this point, though, the the, you also have issues like structurally, okay, because we've needed a left fielder from the beginning. We've just never been able to figure out who the left fielder is. The center fielder is when, when healthy and on the field, he's a really good player. Is how Bader is really good when he's healthy and on the field. When he's healthy and on the field, so you know you've you've not had that consistency there. Left field, center field, you judge being out. You you know we had one point we had an outfield of all DFA players at one point or another. I mean that's tough. That's tough to lose a potential out. You know, to have your outfield wiped out like that. Kind of play catching situations been you know, up in the air. So you've got situations here where the team is just not. You don't have. You don't have left-handed power. You need left-handed power in the worst way, especially in that stadium. So the the lineup is 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 sort of constructed in a way that's just not being able to to get the results. That they need, so the lineup is is an issue structurally. You know, it's an issue. I mean, you're, you're getting on base is a problem. I mean, who bats leadoff? I mean, you know, the Yankees you need a leadoff hitter. They need lefty power. They there are things in the, on the, the structurally that this team needs that it hasn't been able to. You know, it the, the, the this maybe these holes have been there for a while, but now they've really showed up. They just have really showed up. The injuries have forced them to do different things. But the reality is, the way it's constructed right now is not helping them at all. I think yeah, you're good.
0: right. I think I think we've raced into the age of athleticism here and there are too many three true outcome players on this roster and other rosters around the game where they're forced to play catch up and at this point they've lost eight straight going into this three game series against the Nationals on on Tuesday night they took the route that only seemed like the lone route to take they're calling up Everson Pereira they're bringing back up Oswald Peraza so Pereira is going to be in left field we are hearing the reports are that these players are going to get a chance to play every game over the final six weeks or so and in the past we have seen young prospects come up and not play regularly I think Anthony Volpe could be the lone exception in recent memory
2: why do we think this could be different here because they're going to be, you know, they're in last place and they have, what, a less than one percent chance to make the playoffs. And, you know, you need you guys are saying saying the same thing. You need athleticism. You know, the Yankees were forced into a position because of the injuries uh, uh, and flip set it of, of playing a lot of DFA guys and a lot of guys that are probably fourth and fifth outfielders and and maybe twenty five and twenty six man guys on other teams. And that doesn't work out, you know, injuries have forced them into a direction that, yeah, the fans are seeing it. And I'm sure the organization is not happy with it, but this is the way they had to go. And now you're seeing a result of it. You know, it's sad because this is the Yankees and and you have so much respect for this organization and, and for the way they do things. Uh, you know, I've had the utmost respect for Cashman Boone. I mean, it's not Boone's fault. I mean, it's the players. And it's, you know, how... Is there different ways that you can go about things to keep these guys healthier? You know, I don't know, you know, the game's changed as far as that as well. You know,
0: well, if this happened feel... sooner, Jeff, do you think the the Yankees would be in a better position than they are right now? Say this happened immediately after the trade deadline where they realized that they weren't going to make a, a, a move just to make a move because there really wasn't a, a trade to make. But if they promoted these young players like that, could they be in a better position than they
2: are right now? You don't know because you don't know how these guys are going to perform. I mean, you know how Peraza is going to perform. You know, I really liked him last year because especially in the playoffs, he was a guy that could handle the pressure and handle the situation. And I thought he had a chance to be a terrific player. He still does. And I could see a Volpe, you know, Peraza double play combination in the future going forward, maybe even next year. Who knows? You know, let these kids play. They're so used to getting consistent at-bats in the minor leagues. They come up here, and they are really good players. And for a young player to not get consistent at-bats, it's really tough. And all of a sudden, you're asked, okay, you're sitting for three or four games, and now you're you're bolted and you're pushed into a game. Oh, he went 0 for 4. Well, no wonder. This guy's used to playing every single day at the minor league level, and he probably should be playing every day at the big league level and these kids, I think, will be playing every single day. You have no other choice. It isn't, you know, you have to go. You, what do you say? 38 games? You have to go 38. Mm-hmm. Maybe even to make a playoff. Is that is that even feasible? You know, that that's that's really tough to do. I mean, I guess you can't put anything by them. I mean, who knows? I mean, they do have a talented team, but you know, maybe it ignites it ignites some of these guys. I mean, look at last year when some of these guys came up when they were really you know, Greg Allen. I mean, it was a it was a short time. I mean, it was a short little effect, but it yeah. almost Oswaldo well, Cabrera coming yeah, up, it ignited it the team a little, little bit. into the team and like some energy. And I think that's what you're
1: looking for. Yeah. yeah you gotta see what you have. The for the Yankees to decide what they're gonna do going forward, they have to have take real stock about what they have. And you don't really know what you have until you see some of these kids play at a major league level. I mean, I'd like to see Austin Wells catch. i like to see what he can. I think can
0: it'll do. happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. you know, you know, so I mean and, and the other spots as well we the Yankees have some major prospects, you know, three or four major prospects why not why not let them play? you know see what you've got I mean, I I you know I I really liked when I first saw Esteban Florial. I thought he was a terrific prospect. I really did and I, I mean I, I mean that he's he could play defense he could run the bases that turned out on a major league level the bats he was getting he wasn't able to perform in a major league level as a but we but now, since he's been back with the Yankees, he's really he's been really ripping, ripping up the minors, at least power wise. Yankees need the power. He's only 24 years old. Or, 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 or maybe he's nearly 25 now, but still, in all, that doesn't put him out of the game. Yeah. See what he's got. I mean, see what players have got. This is what you use this for. It's a petri dish right now. And use it. I mean, if, I, if I'm a fan, I want to sit there, I want to see the young kids. I want to see, I want to get excited about something. Show me something. I want to get excited.
2: I mean, I think it's a good sample size of 38 games, like you said, Flip. They have these guys play every single day and see what you have. You know, let a floor yell, "Hey, okay, hey," or "Here's here's constant at Bass for 38 games." I think you can get a good sample size out of that. It isn't like a September call up. and You only get two additions anyway, so obviously they'll have to make some moves and hurt some feelings, and you know, to get these kids up. But you have to see what you what you have. I mean, I don't know if you're going to have a, a Ronald Acuna Jr. somewhere waiting in there or LED De La Cruz at that the reds have but hey you might have some guys you can go forward and say wow i mean these guys really performed and this just because new york's in last place it's still new york it's not an easy place to play there's still expectations no matter if you're in last place or first place so i think it's a good sample size if you can get some of these kids up to see what they have
0: great and they're still going to be playing in in games that look Yankee Stadium's not going to empty itself out. I mean, you're oh. still going to be playing in front of 35,000, 40,000 crowds in September. You're going to be playing teams that are in the playoff hunt. So you're going to be playing in games that, that means something somewhere. You want to obviously perform and establish yourself uh, as well. So these young players, and again, once September 1st comes around, I really think like Austin Wells will be a backup here. There's no sense in the Yankees bringing him up right now, a week before uh, September 1st and going from, you know, uh, one less catcher on their 40 man. They could carry three catchers there once when September comes in. But it's it's the platform, the 38 game platform that you can use to establish yourself and open up some eyes. Uh all right guys, let's talk about some teams that are in playoff contention, uh a little bit closer. Teams are on the rise here. I think the wildcard race in each league is getting really exciting. Jeff, the Mariners are taking the sport by storm here. That's one team I could buy stock in. And I would go as far to say that the AL West is still up for grabs for the Mariners. I'm wondering from both of you, which team are you zeroing in on as we slowly turn the calendar to September?
1: The West,
2: the West is going to be a dogfight. And, you know, look at Texas, Houston and Seattle. And Seattle went from a place that in the wild card that they thought that, OK, they're not probably they're really going to have to come on strong. Their offense wasn't going well. Julio Rodriguez was hitting like a one, you know, 240, 230. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez was not not hitting the way he should. Offensively, they were just done. They traded their closer in Seawall. That's, I think, the second year in a row they've done that. The next thing you know, because their starting pitching could be some of the best in the game. They have really good starting pitching. And all of a sudden, Julio Rodriguez has just been taken off. Teoscar Hernandez is hitting well over 300 over the last like a month or so. I mean, these guys all of a sudden offensively have started kicking it in. Texas. So it's going to be a dogfight for that West because whoever wins that division is going to wind up getting a first-round buy. And it, a lot of times going into the playoffs, listen, you still have 38 games. Anything can happen, a run here, a run there by one of these teams. But you have three teams that they're vying for one spot and maybe the other two wind up making the wild card. And if the Astros ever get... Javier turned around one of their key starters that were, was so dominant in the playoffs last year, you know, they're going to be even tougher because offensively they could be one of the best teams. So the twins, you know, the central division is, you know, pretty much count the twins. They're six games up Uh, the East. You have Baltimore and Toronto Baltimore and Tampa Bay, Toronto. I mean, I thought Toronto was a lot better team than what they're playing like. And and so the wild card is going to be interesting. And now all of a sudden the West is going to be really, really interesting.
1: Two teams I really liked coming out of spring training really liked were Seattle and Toronto. I did, personally. And, you know, and the fact that, you know, both of them sort of underperformed uh, would be a fair way of, of putting it, I, I guess we'd say that. Uh, especially Seattle. Seattle way underperformed as far as I was concerned. And, you know, with the talent that's there, there really is no reason for them not to be uh, one of the better teams in the American League, one of the strongest teams in the American League. And now they're starting to show what they've got. They, to Jeff's point, they weren't hitting, but now they're hitting. They have the pitching. They've had the pitching. That's the and that Pitching is so much of the game, as we all know. So the pitching was there, just the batting, the hitting wasn't there, but it should have been there. But now it's there. So you look at them and on balance, they're a really strong team. That's a really strong team. And not that Houston isn't. Is using a good team or Texas isn't a good team. That's going to be a great race down to the end, and you know, and to your points, someone's going to want to get in a buy. So it's really important that uh, you know the, 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 those teams, but, but they're making a great race. Whether it's the West, whether it's the Wild Card part of it, even the American League West, anyway, any which race you want to center on that—that's the epicenter of the, of the American League right now. Is right what's going on there, and it's great. It's great to see it.
0: The last ten days of the season is going to be electric in that Western division for this reason alone, the Mariners, their, their final 10 games are against the Rangers and the Astros. They have two series against Texas, uh, one three game set with Houston. That is going to be absolutely electric. Cause I think all three teams are going to be tight uh, up until the end there. I have an outrageous question for both of you here with regards to the American league playoff landscape. You can only have one or the other, um, Will the AL East have four playoff teams, or will the AL West have three playoff teams?
2: Ooh, AL West. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree. I'm kind of disappointed in in Toronto. You know, I thought they yeah. were better than what they are. I thought I, you know, I thought this had a, this team was probably one of the most athletic in in the American League, and to see them drop out just a little bit right now i think what are they uh game out of the wild card yeah game out of the wild card um i i wouldn't put anything past toronto but i will I i'll say three out of the west
1: yeah i agree with you i would uh, look toronto's good Still, a good baseball team. Look at their record. I mean, their record is—they're not, not—they're not chopped liver. No. It's a good team and good organization. Uh, they've just not achieved what they—they've just not managed played up to expectations last year or this year. I think the entire the expectations were higher both years, last year and this year, than than the reality has been for them. Which I don't know whether you know the, what's the expression T.S. Eliot: the 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 between the idea and the reality falls the shadow. You know, I think between the idea and the reality. That's
0: brilliant, John. That's brilliant.
1: Well, that's easy to know that. You know the guys like. I knew T. S. Eliot. Did you guys know that? No. Definitely no. didn't know that, that I knew T. S no. You've
0: pulled a, a Mark Twain reference out of the bag every now and then on this podcast. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean I, I don't really know. Three. I
1: got three quotes. That's all I know. So I, I <laughs> and they're right, they're
0: lip. right in front of you right now, right? They're uh yeah, exactly yeah. English Lit.
1: I really do, Justin. <laughs> I, I know so little about it. I love English lit, except I don't know anything about it. I guess it's why you should like something, I know nothing about it.
0: But this is the fun dynamic here because, look, the the Toronto Blue Jays are by no means even out of it. I mean, one game out, the Red Sox, they've started to heat up. The Astros simultaneously cooling down. They're playing head-to-head a lot over the next 10 days or so. Boston's four games out right now. I I don't know. At one point, I did think that, four teams are going to be coming out of the AL East. I had the Yankees in that equation, but I just think the the way the schedule lines up I, one way or another, I'm going to go with three teams out of the AL West, but I I credit the Red Sox at the moment for just making this uh, a viable question. You know, I don't sound like I'm too loony uh, asking a question like that. So this is what part uh this is what makes part of the the wildcard chase uh, so fun. And Jeff, I mean, the Marlins, are in an extremely crowded race for the NL wild card, one that we've been waiting for the Padres to turn it on. Right, like uh, they haven't, they didn't have as much success as the the Mariners had before they went on a hot streak. But there's sadly still time here for a team like the Padres to heat up and join such a crowded field with the Marlins, the Cubs, the Reds. It is uh, insane. That that might be even more crowded than than the American League.
2: Yeah, it's so bizarre with the Padres. You know, you look at the numbers offensively, they're as far as average, they're eleventh in the National League, but you know, stolen bases, they're about fifth. The home runs, they're about fifth. Uh pitching, they're second in the NL and ERA. And it's like, okay, there's no way. And as far as positive, I'm a big run differential guy. So usually mm-hmm. negative run differential teams don't make the playoffs. I think the last time was during the COVID year that I think even the Marlins had a negative run differential and they made the playoffs. So not very many teams make it with that. Uh, they're, I think, plus 50, plus 47, something around there. So it's like, okay, how are they so bad? You know, the superstars that they have, the pitching that they have, you're, you're waiting for them. And Bob Melvin's a terrific manager. i played for him before. I mean, he was one of the reasons why the Diamondbacks won the World Series. He had Bob Bentley as the manager, but he was the bench coach and everybody credited him as far as, the, you know, having that success there. You know, it's just bizarre for them. You know, you have two elite teams that are in a league of their own in the National League. That's the Dodgers and the Braves. And everybody else behind is mediocre. You know, you really don't have any one of those teams, the Cubs, the Giants, the Diamondbacks, the Reds, the Marlins, and, and the Padres. No, Nobody has really taken off and separated themselves. Maybe the Phillies a little, but they don't even play consistent baseball. You have – right now
0: and, and run differential is something i definitely pay attention to you have the cubs and and the giants balloting it out the phillies have the the top wild card at the moment there are three games up for that top wild card spot those three teams do have positive run differentials the teams right behind them starting with the d-backs who are only a half game out arizona cincinnati miami they all have negative run differentials and then there is the padres again been under 500 virtually all season but yet only five and a half games out for that uh for that third wild card spot it's it's very very interesting you know look
2: at all their schedules as well and i had to you know they all all pretty similar you know they have some soft landings you know maybe for 10 games out of the remaining 38 39 whatever they have and then they 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 play a lot of meaningful baseball as far as playoff teams every single one of those pretty much have similar schedules
1: I'm not a believer a big believer that if you play 500 baseball you should be in the postseason that's this my, I mean it's, it's honestly to me it should be it should be about your elite teams you know making the playoffs and then teams that are not elite shouldn't be in the playoffs it's it's to me that's it's pretty simple but I do appreciate I do appreciate when Major League Baseball went to the, the third wild card how you, you could have a conversation like this, at this point in the schedule which is late august and still have teams because of the third wild card all of a sudden there's a chance for them to do something and there's a chance more teams involved now at the, again at the end of the day I'm, i don't have a 500 team in the postseason but i love the idea that someone is alive teams are alive and they have hope because that's what you want you every team wants to have hope you got to give a team hope and if you're you have to look at the reds you look at teams like that not you know they got a shot. They got a shot. Teams like that have a shot, and that's really important. That's important to the game. It's important to have interest in those cities, and that's what you know baseball did. I mean, they 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 codified their they changed their rules to make the game more to get faster. Uh, to make it more offense, uh, the, the speed-oriented, actually, because that's where it comes out. So a lot of the rules were about speed and defense and shifts and illuminating the shifts and things like that, right? So it makes the defense more interesting in some respects. takes so away, it gives the lefties a chance to get some hits. I mean, they did some interesting things to speed the game up to as well. Obviously, the pace of the game, the pitch clock, things like that. But adding the the third wild card, which I didn't love at the time, but now I look at it through a, sort of a different lens, a different filter and I say you know what it's not such a bad idea to have to have teams uh, multiple teams in it at the end of the day they're not going to be in it but there's hope that they could be in it and I think that's always a good thing for a, for a fan
2: yeah I mean you look at the fan bases and the attendance and how much it's up in some certain spots because of that wild card rank right? and saying that you have the Padres like I said five
0: and a half out the Mets believe it or not are six and a half games out of that wild card oh. spot. So there there theoretically is something still to play for with that team. And this leads me to the question here as we land the plane, fellas. There are a lot of intriguing matchups going on this week. Right now, we're in the middle of series like uh, in Houston with the Red Sox, the Astros. You have the Phillies and the Giants, two teams battling it out in the wild card race. Orioles and Blue Jays. Um, This weekend, you have Mookie Betts returning to Fenway Park for the first time. Dodgers, Red Sox, a lot to play there for uh, the Reds. The D backs and at Citi Field, you are gonna have the Mets welcoming in Shohei Otani and the Angels. Personally, too little too late for LA, but with Otani coming in here, how big of a weekend with his free agency looming, the narrative about the Mets offering the most financially to a player like Shohei Otani, how big of a weekend at Citi Field will it truly be with Otani and the Angels playing against the Mets? Look, go ahead. <laughs> I'll
1: it'll go after big. you. No, it'll be big because it's like a... Like, look, are you
0: intrigued in the, in a in a weekend full of yeah, big time matches for mean, the post? Yeah, and
1: I am. I, so mean, much. Look, I, I'm a, I love storylines. I mean, obviously, I'm a sports producer at heart, and, and it's what I do. And I always look for storylines. It's a great storyline. It's a fascinating storyline. Now, any place Otani goes is going to be exciting because he's Otani. And, you know, he's the this, this single most diverse and interesting player in the game. I'm not saying he's the best player in the game, but I am saying he's the single most interesting and diverse player in the game. I don't know anybody else who could do what he does in terms of his ability as a, as a regular position player and also as a pitcher. So if you look at that, I mean, obviously, there's nobody who could match that. So he And he's a persona into, in and of himself. I think that he's fascinating to, to watch and to see and to see him in, in that setting In to see, again, you know, I don't know what the Mets will or will not do. I don't even know if they write the biggest check if that's where he wants to be. I mean, he's made it clear he wants to play on the West Coast and his first preferences. I don't know how big a check you'd have to write to get him to change his... But even if you wrote him the biggest check ever, would he want to go? Who knows? He's, he's very, very closed about what he's going to do. He won't say very much about it. And, you know... But but, there, but that speculation in and of itself just lends itself to a lot of stories and stories about the game that talk about the game and talk about the game in a, in a positive light of uh, a, of a personality and a persona like him and a performer like him. I, I think it's, it's great for the game. And I think it'll lend itself to a look, the Mets. I mean, you could say the Mets are only six and a half out or whatever they're out. They've got to jump about 400 teams. To get to where they got, and the reality of that is, that it, there's not a reality to it. It's it's nearly not that it's impossible, but they've got they'd have to just almost run the table, and I don't see them having the capability of doing that. But but at the end of the day, this will this will be stories that people could write about, and there's a storyline you could make a hook on, and that people will talk about, and well, people will want to be uh, see how the, how that turns out for sure.
2: Yeah, I agree with everything. You know, I think I think he's very very comfortable in Southern California. And I think from what I understand, he has a house on the beach and I think the angels do everything they can to make him feel comfortable. And, and it wouldn't surprise me a bit that he doesn't sign back there or even with the Dodgers, but the Mets will do everything they can. I mean, the media will print everything they can about welcoming him to New York and, you know, Hey, this is a place you can play. And like Flip said, I mean, who knows if the Mets will even write that check, you know, he's a terrific player I think you definitely have to look down the line as far as uh, his health, you know, can he continue to do what he's doing, do both pitch and hit? I mean, we've seen some times, I mean, there, there, again, he was all, he's going to threaten judge record, but then he had some cramps. He had some things going on health wise that he had to take some time off pitching. They're very careful with with him as far as, you know, giving him that extra day, you know, you always have to wonder about that. If you're going to sign this guy to a 10-year, $700 million or $600 million contract, can he do both for a long period of time? That might not happen. All right, Jeff, one more
0: before we close out shop here this week. Old-timers day, September 9th, coming up at Yankee Stadium. They are going to be honoring the 1998 squad, 25 years since they captured that terrific world championship. Uh, in my lifetime, for sure, the greatest team I've ever seen. You played on that team. I think there's going to be a little over 30 players personnel from that 98 team that's going to be on hand September the 9th. Is there anyone in particular who you've maybe lost
2: contact with throughout the years that you're looking forward to catching up with? Well, one one of the nice things that the Yankees do, they make sure that everybody you know stays in contact with each other and they do these events, they old timers day. So you get to see a lot of the same guys, but you know, it's going to be fun to see Jeter come back with Posada Tino, Bernie and, and Mariano, you know, to see those guys together again, that's going to be pretty special. Uh, you know, Mike Stanton, this is going to be Mike Stanton's first time back and in old timers game. So that's going to be pretty special. I've talked to him a couple times already and he's really excited about coming back and, and uh, just putting on the Jersey again and getting introduced. So, you know, it's always fun because you look at that team, and I don't know if I'm biased, but I I, I think it was probably the best team that ever played. And, you know, the Yankees have always had great teams in the history of their, their existence. But I think, you know, the 98 team is something. And until you see everyone and you look around the position and you're like, wow, we really did have a good team. And I, don't, I guess you really don't realize it until after the fact. Like 96, when we had that reunion and we all went to our positions, And we're looking around the field at every position. I mean, there's hall of famers and you're like, I think we can still beat some of these teams in the big leagues now. And we're, we're all in our, in our late forties and fifties. So, you know, it's always, it's always exciting to have this, these events, but it's going to be fun to see a lot of the guys that, you know, there's a few that I haven't seen in a while. For the most part, the Yankees do such a great job that you do get to see and keep in contact with a lot of them.
0: I'm looking forward to it. Uh, That's you know, 96 was the team that for, will forever be my favorite team. But 98 is like that one a, uh, for, for a lot of the reasons that you were, you were talking about, John, how big of a deal is it that Jeter's coming back for, for an old timer's day?
1: Big deal. It's a big deal. I mean, uh, you know, Derek is, uh, you know, was, uh, out of Miami. It was, uh, uh, GMing in Miami. And then he's out, uh, he's got a, a broadcasting career going with Fox and, uh, you know I think it's time that he uh you know uh come you know come truly back uh in, in, in the Yankees and, and be an active participant in the in their various programs because he is so much a, he's, he's a legacy Yankee obviously he's one of the all-time great Yankees and it's really important that uh, the Yankees uh obviously embrace him and he embraced the Yankees and uh, uh I see that happening in, in in a major way and it's exciting and uh I mean uh you know Derek, Derek Jeter just think about all the great plays of your you, you can go back to in your mind uh, through the years and the, especially in those octobers and we talk about history and tradition now that it was a 96 or 98 or 99 or 2000 and you know pick your pick your year pick your championship and derek was right in the middle of all of it so the linchpin to so much of it and and you know obviously a lot of great players around him and obviously a lot of also very strong support players around him. But at the end of the day, and he'll, you know, Derek Jeter is Derek Jeter. And you just, it doesn't, you don't have to say a lot more than those two, put those two words together than actually names that Derek and Jeter, and you get Derek Jeter Then you don't have to say anything more than that. So the fact that he's being part of this is just great. And uh, it's exciting and uh, you know, look for more and more, more and more things with Jeter and getting involved.
0: Can't beat it. Coming back, coming back home. Old Timers Day, September the 9th. The ninety-eight team will be well represented for sure. Jeff Nelson will be there. Jeff, thank you for joining us here on Curtain Call Podcast. Flip and I appreciate you coming on here.
2: Thank you, thanks, Jeff. Jeff thank you. Thanks, Flip.
1: Okay, appreciate it.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of the Curtain Call podcast for Jeff Nelson, for John J. Filippelli, for T.S. Elliot, Why not? Uh, For our terrific (laughs) producer, Dan Passone, as well. Thanks for joining. Please subscribe. That way you don't miss the latest episode that we are turning out here with the Curtain Call podcast, a production of the Yes Network. Take care, everybody.